I'm Guyan Espiner with you this week in for Wallace Chapman on the panel. Well, National is promising to fund a third medical school for Aotearoa. The debate around adding a Waikato University medical school to the existing ones at Otago and Auckland. It's been around for a few years, that debate now, but it was given a shot in the arm with the National Party's a new promise to provide nearly $400 million to help set it up if it can form a government after the October 14 election. Waikato University itself has been pushing strongly to establish itself as a doctor training institution and says it could contribute about $100 million itself to this project. Labour is cool on the idea. The Health Minister, Aisha Verrill, has been quoted as saying that Cabinet was advised that opening a Waikato medical school could actually lead to a reduction in the number of placements available at the other medical schools. Let's talk about this more now with Sarah Dalton, who is the Executive Director at the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists. Kia ora, good afternoon to you, Sarah. Scott O'Gion, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What is your view on a third medical school at Waikato? We feel very positive about the idea of a third medical school. We aren't training enough doctors. We're not keeping enough doctors here. We need other options. What sort of shortage are we talking about? And if you could give us rough numbers of, you know, what, how many go through Auckland and, and Otago at the moment. Oh, you're probably asking the wrong person that. But, you know, we just had a workforce plan come from Te Whatu Order this week that estimates the national shortfall in doctors at 1,700 people. We think that's an understatement. Um, and I think you're getting... No, I can't tell you the exact numbers of Auckland okay. and Waikato. Well, we're obviously, Auckland. yeah, well, we're short. And so it would it would seem on the face of it to, to, to be an idea to bring in and bring on stream new places. This is going to be a slightly different proposal too, isn't it? It's it's only going to be available, as I understand it, to people who've already got a, a graduate degree um, and that they would go in rather than um, taking people, in some cases, who um, ha- have not done that. That's right. So it's a graduate entry program, as I understand it. So the training time might be a tiny bit shorter, but also there's a focus on rural hospital medicine and on community-based care for future GPs. Um, and I understand that students would be you know, located in those sorts of areas where we hope that they would continue to practice once qualified. So it's, it's, a, it's a different approach. I, I think also within that announcement there was an intention to further build places at Auckland and Otago. So it's, it's kind of a yes-end approach, I think. Any downsides that you see? Oh, there's always going to be devils in the detail. There could be some challenges in terms of ensuring that we have sufficient senior doctors available to support the training, to make sure that there is proper investment. I I noted in your intro you talked about Labor's concerns about the costs. We would probably go back to the the key point that in New Zealand we don't fund health properly. Sue Kedgley, uh, health has long been an, uh, an interest and a focus for you. What's your perspective on this? Well, I mean, I certainly think that um, we need to look at the, I mean, the rural doctor shortage is, you know, is acute. I mean, I think they're saying, aren't they, that um, half of the, uh, half of the uh, rural GPs are vacant. You know, there's, there's, there's a huge, um, huge shortage here. 
and, and not, you know, we've known about it for years and, and basically nothing much is happening. Huge waiting lists, books uh, closed, etc. I also quite like the idea of looking at a new way of training doctors. So you, you graduate you, you from you get some sort of post uh, undergraduate degree, then you've got this four year program, uh, three years spent at rural, regional centres. Now, actually, this is the norm in Australia, America, Canada. Mm-hmm. So you know why not look at another way of training doctors? So all of that, I'm uh, sort of quite interested in it. But of course, there is the obvious question: How would a national government fund this massive investment? Um, when it's committed to tax cuts, you know, you, how do you do both, Nick? Well, I not, think you don't have to necessarily answer that. I'm not, well, not going to answer Sue's question because yeah. I, I couldn't. Um, but I, I do. I agree with what she said, and um, I, I like a couple of things about it. Firstly, that it's a a longer term solution to what has you know been increasingly you know we felt it in, in the recent short term that we you know there aren't enough doctors, and when we know that when people can't get to their GP, they end up at their local ED. So it's a it's a really significant problem, and I think we've lost that personal connection to our GPs uh, in many parts of the country over the last few years. The other thing I like is the fact that this is actually uh, a political party picking up what is clearly an idea that's been generated locally by the university and they've picked it up as policy. I think we should see more of that from political parties because the solutions often do actually best come from uh, communities and universities and businesses and uh, on the ground. Um, But the point I'd like to make is that I'm really interested to understand the strategy of getting more New Zealanders to a medical school. That is, how do we widen that that opportunity? Yeah, well, let's go to Sarah on that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's obviously an opportunity for us. We have many talented New Zealanders who aren't meeting the entry criteria to medical schools currently mm. due to the limit on places. If we create more opportunities to learn, if we create more places, more people will come. We are currently losing a number of New Zealanders who go to Australia to train. Most of those never come back. Yeah, And Sarah, I'm just wondering, why don't we do that old bonding thing. You know, you've, mm. we'll pay you to go through medical school if you work for three or six years in a rural practice. Yeah, there's a little bit of bonding in health at the moment, um, more for dentists, I think, than doctors currently. I'd have to refresh my memory on that. But I think, look, bonding has some potential, although it's shown to have limits. I think the better thing is simply to get people in there learning in place, building those relationships in those communities and being given the opportunity to practice medicine here. I mean, that is just adding to our capacity. And I think we do have to be clear that we need to make a larger investment in health going forward. The other thing I would like to push, and some people think it's naive, but there are some fundamentals about access to health care that I think most New Zealanders would agree on. It would be great to get some political consensus around those and get some... Uh, cross-party commitments. There's been a lot of debate about this, Sarah. This idea has been around for quite a long time, hasn't it, and has been pushed back by various groups. Is there quite a bit of politics involved in here, not just from the political parties, but the other medical schools? I mean, is there... Yes, competition between the universities, and they should all be cooperating. Absolutely. We're only five million people. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be underlying it. Very political. Everything in health is very political, um, and so and it's an intersection between education and health. 
um, amongst others. Um, so, yeah, it's never going to be as straightforward as some people might like. But um, the point Sue made earlier about there being existing models for this kind of medical training in Canada and Australia and elsewhere, they are there, and we do have people working in New Zealand, um, the Strassers in particular, um, who are really keen to support the growth of this model of um, medical training. I think the other thing is we have Te Order, which is all about trying to do some things differently in health, and I think this fits into that new narrative. If we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we've always got, and we need to do better. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Dalton there, who's Executive Director with the Association of a Salaried Medical Specialists, talking there about this proposal. And National now says that they are backing this. The third medical school in New Zealand, it would be, if Waikato University eventually ever got the nod to do it. Let us know your thoughts on this one. 2101, I can see a number of you have been texting me about this already. We'll see if we can get to some of those throughout the programme this afternoon. Well, filming fight videos while staff watch on is the latest in a series of alarming stories coming from youth justice facilities run by Oranga Tamariki, the mother of a teenager who'd been staying at the Korowai Manaki facility in South Auckland, says her boy suffered a cut lip and black eyes, and that photos of this fight were leaked out onto social media. Now, there have been other videos released showing young people being forced to fight while staff members watch on. Oranga Tamariki, of course, has come under a lot of fire in recent weeks and a number of incidents that have uh, come from there, including several youths getting up on the roofs of a youth justice facility member in Auckland and I think in Christchurch too. 11 Oranga Tamariki staff have been stood down in just the last week and there's this big review underway isn't there, headed by the former police commissioner Mike Bush. Well Dame Tariana Turia has been a recent critic of Oranga Tamariki and spent a lot of her career, including as a government minister, fighting for the advancement of Māori youth. She joins us now Tenakwe. Kia ora. We have a real problem in this area don't we? We've always had a real problem in this area. These issues are not new. They've been around for years and nothing has been done about them. Why not? Well, I think that, you know, part of the problem is that people don't care enough about these kids. They don't care what happens to them while they're in care. And so they don't do anything. They know these things go on. They know these kids are beaten up while they're in care, but they don't do anything about it. That's been going on for years. Mm. I mean, it, it seems, I mean, as horrifying as that is, it seems to be an extra level of horror when you see staff, if not even if not directly involved, then at least sort of aiding and abetting this. I mean, that seems extraordinary. It, it is extraordinary, and it's about time they did something about it. They have known for years that these kids have been bullied, have been trashed the way that they have. They wonder why they come out like they mm. do, but they don't do anything about it because it's a lot easier to ignore and pretend it's not going on. Nick, you probably would have, um, as Mayor uh, in Porirua, um seen some examples of, of, of travelled youth and perhaps people who are going through Oranga Tamariki. Um, how do you see this series of scandals sort of playing out and, and what possibly we can do about it well I'm unfortunately no expert but I do think that children deserve to be safe when they're under the care of the state and they need to be respected Uh, and 
I'm interested to know from Dame Tatiana, actually, around how do you change a system uh, like this? Um, it's it's ingra- an ingrained culture, and it needs to you know be sorted. And I'm interested in her insights. Well, I'm not. I'm, I probably don't have the key to what what should happen. But what I do know is that this has been going on for years. It's not something new. Uh, governments have known about it. People who work in the system have known about it. And our young people who've gone through that system more often than not have ended up in prison. I think it's an appalling state of affairs for this small country to have done nothing when we could have done something long ago. Often these are rangatahi Māori, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest, the, 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 the statistics were uh, overwhelmingly, disproportionately Māori here. I mean, yep. you, you've been a big um, advocate, as far as my reading of your politics has gone over the years, in, in devolution and allowing you know, Māori solutions. And um, do you think that it, it is time to, to go a bit further in that space? I mean... Well, we couldn't be worse than what we are now, <laughs> could we? I mean, I think that it's really important. These young people should be taken back to their own people, to their own hapu and iwi, to care for them. And they should be given the resources and the opportunity to try and put things right. We're asking significant expectations of families, really, to heal the trauma that these young people have been put through. And I feel very, very aroha for those young people, I do. And I think it's been going on for far too long. It went on when I was a minister, it's still going on. What confidence, if any, do you have that Mike Bush, the former police commissioner, might get to the bottom of it? Because he's heading this review, isn't he? He's, he's, he's reviewing, reviewing the, the, the department and, and looking at um, some of these issues. Well, I don't know whether... A policeman is the right person to be doing the review. I do know that there are many people in the Māori community who have been extremely concerned for many, many years. They're the kind of people who should be involved. You know, people like Nader Glavish, yes. you know, being around the traps forever. Mm. Um, they're the ones that should be consulted about this particular matter and being brought together with a group of others to see what difference can be made. I'm really worried for the future of our young people. They deserve better. And, you know, frankly, what's happened to them over the years is appalling. In actual fact, they should be compensated for the abuse that they've been put through. Well, that's kind of where we are with the the abuse and state care inquiry, aren't we? Are we setting that up for... I mean, the irony, Guyan, is that these youth justice centres, they were set up to try to shift young people away from crime before they turned 18, so they to keep them out of adult prisons, uh, which, of course, are breeding grounds for crime and so forth. Uh, but I, I, get, I mean, it's an intractable intractable problem. And, and what I wonder is there's been calls to shut them down but what do you do with these, you know, troubled youths? Um, we've seen, you know, with some of these ram raids, 11 and 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. I mean, the National Party's wanting to, uh, to send them to uh, boot camps uh, run by the military. Uh, Tari- Dame Tariana, you're suggesting taking them back to their own iwi and hapu. 
you know, what, what, what do we do? I mean, it's such an intractable problem. It's, 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 we don't want to revert back to horror stories of boar stalls, detention centres and horror stories like the Apuni Boys High. No, we don't want to do that, but I think that what we need to do is to put the resources where they should be. And those resources should be with the hapu and iwi that those young people belong to, and they should be assisted and encouraged and supported to do the right thing by those young people. Yeah, let's I'm, just, I'm yeah. actually appalled that we have allowed things to get to what they're like today. Okay. This was going on when I was in Parliament. And I think probably when Sue Ketchley was in Parliament, we just used to call it SIFs. And, um, that is exactly right. Yeah. But, but are all families and whānau, you know, are they in a position to really take them back and uh, really, you know, re- rehabilitate them? I think that they should be given the opportunity, the resources, the training, all the things that we put into state care and into state institutions those should be put back into the whānau hapa and iwi to then be able to work with their own young people. I've worked with young people most of my life mm. and I have never, ever found a young person who without some love, who without some care, without some knowledge that people do really care about them, who don't work to change. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this devolution argument in terms of, you know, often we hear these success stories of, you know, Butterbean or things that Waipareta have done or, you know, um, community-based organisations who come up with stuff. It does seem there's, you know, the state, while we often look to the state to do these kinds of things, you know, often it does descend into into something um, a little more sinister and, and really our record of state provision of care in this area has been pretty appalling, hasn't it? Wouldn't all three of you? agree with that? Oh absolutely it has been appalling you can go back many many years to when the institutions were operating you know I'm talking Kohitere and those places they weren't the only ones of course there were others but you know to know that all this was allowed to continue all this was allowed to go on I mean you know is Jim Moriarty still alive? Yes well, you should interview him. He's doing some great mahi at the moment uh, with vulnerable families, and, yeah, I, he, he would be a good person to talk to. Mm. I think well, you should. <laughs> well, thanks for that, uh, Dame Tariana Turia, with us this afternoon on the panel with Sue Kedgley and Nick Leggett talking there about the series of scandals and issues that have been plaguing Oranga Tamariki, the latest of which is basically fight videos being filmed while staff watch on and the photos going up on, on social media. Well, it's 26 minutes past four on the panel and the Netherlands has moved to ban children from bringing mobile phones into the classroom from next year. The fear is that these devices are distracting children from learning and other devices are going to be banned as well. Tablets and smartwatches are on the list, and I see Sue that this also follows a move from the from Finland, who announced something pretty similar last week. It doesn't surprise me, and it must be a lot of schools. I don't know; it's certainly not the law in New Zealand, but um, a lot of schools must do this already, mustn't they? Well, some certainly do. No, alleluia, I say. Um, it's not only um, Finland, Guy, and I, I noticed China's 
been doing this. Australia, they're not allowed in primary schools. They're extending it to uh, secondary schools. And, you know, there's huge numbers of studies showing that limiting children's screen time improves their learning and behaviour and so on. I noticed some Christchurch school I know um, introduced it said the effect was huge. They, students weren't distracted, were able to concentrate more. But, you know, it's not only a matter of... Uh, concentration and distraction because unfortunately uh, cell phones have become a breeding ground for cyberbullying mm. and social media can damage particularly young girls uh, mental health and uh, it's an issue that uh, we're dealing with quite a lot these days um, and, and it's everything from um, you know, we Parliament even had to pass that revenge porn uh, legislation uh, a few yes. years back, but eating disorders, you know, but but that whole social, the impact of social media, or particularly on young girls' uh, mental health, is a big issue. So I'm all in favour of it, um, and I know some schools certainly are doing it because I asked my some grandchildren who are staying with us from Waiheke College. It's banned from seven, eight, nine, and shortly to be ten, and only allowed for the senior students which makes a lot of sense to me. Nick? I'm not generally a fan of banning or stopping, but I have to agree in this uh, in this case. Like, uh, I've got young children, and I see their brains turn to mush, and we, you know, when they're on a device, and we want to delay the cell phone, you know, becoming part of, you know, the extension of the arm for as long as possible. <laughs> and um, this, to me, this is about learning. And... The connection to a device for information is not being stopped here. Mm. It is the ability to communicate outside the classroom through a mobile device, and I think that's entirely appropriate. And it's entirely appropriate for an education, for a school or a university to actually dictate that, I think, particularly you know, in those younger years. It's difficult, isn't it, though, because we put the world online and we have these incredible advancements and uh, incredible learning tools as well, and then you get into AI and all this sort of stuff, and the whole world's sort of going digital, um, and then we wonder why our, our kids are, are, are doing this so much. But So it's not that easy to, to, to draw that line, is it? And I certainly doubt that an, um, a New Zealand government would have what, what I might call the courage to do what Australia, Finland, the Netherlands, China and others are doing. So I doubt that we're going to see it here in the near future, but hopefully more and more schools. It would be just so much easier, though, for schools if there was some national guideline around this. We could have phone-free days or something. We could have it for adults as well. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, you think about your own well-being as an adult and your own mental health actually detaching from your phone or your device for a period of time is only a good thing. So why, if we know that, why do we see that saying that kids can't for the period of time they're in the classroom have a mobile phone, why do we see that as being particularly controversial? I, I just, I don't understand that. Mm. Well, um, pick up your mobile phone, send me a text, 2101. Um, if you're listening on your app on the radio, <laughs> flick me a text too. Or you can email us. Um, you could probably write me a letter too. Uh, I promise to read it.